0: We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and world team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age.
1: Silence. Well, welcome. This is uh, Hampton Keithley and Bob Brandon, and uh, we're doing our core beliefs, or at least Bob's core beliefs. I agree with probably most of them.
0: Oh, oh you're hedging.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, <clears throat> maybe a little. <laughs> okay. Um, so, anyway, we uh, have covered six of them, so we're on number seven today. And uh, what is number seven, Bob?
2: Well, we'll start with number seven. We'll, we'll be able to cover a few of these today. Um, I'm laughing about you, <laughs> about you hedging on some of them. I am not hedging. I'm full bore on these. Uh, so here, here's number seven. Let me state it this way. Heaven and earth used to be one thing. They will be one thing again. That's important for believers to have that perspective. So the defense of that is we've been over this. We've mentioned it at least a few times in our podcast to date, but Genesis one and two, if you had to locate heaven and earth, wouldn't you say they were the same? Not that there wasn't a sky and heaven in that sense, but if you somewhat define heaven as presence of God, right like God's throne room, sort of, right? I he was here with Adam. They walked every day in the garden. Yeah. So to me, I know
1: you've mentioned this several times yeah. in previous podcasts where the let us and some of the other things that are being said are a kind of a courtroom, and it's got yes. God's
2: court, yes. Setting, yes. And so it's a council, council. Scene.
1: Yeah, that's not on Earth. That still seems to me to be up in the sky somewhere, if you will.
2: Perhaps, so maybe we could refine it and say it like this: They were united. Heaven and Earth were united. Though, you know, perhaps different spatially, they were united. Okay. Like, you know what I mean? I got
1: you. Yeah. I was even thinking of your comment last time about Christ was made not less, or man, man is not created less than heavenly beings, but lower spatially.
2: Correct. Correct. And so then the way I read the, the text. <coughs> Right. Like as as one book, you start on page one and you read it to page 2000. I know most people don't do that, but that's how I read it. And so when I get to the last couple chapters after Revelation 19, so 20, 21, 22, where are we again? Heaven and earth are united. Right. Right. The new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to the earth. So that's the sense in, in which I'm speaking.
0: Right, um, okay.
2: I, that's important to keep in mind because I think we kind of have this idea, you know, where, where am I going to spend eternity? We, here. we are going to be here, I, right? Hey, that's to me, in, in my experience uh, with believers down through the decades, I, that's sort of a new thought to a lot of people i think they they wouldn't necessarily verbalize it this way but in their mind they almost have the idea yeah i'm being a, a cloud with a harp <laughs> up there see a singing.
1: few gary larson um, <laughs> comics referring to singing <laughs> sing things on clouds yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> although there is some biblical justification for that right uh, um in daniel right it i saw the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know to receive the kingdom that's there's some justification for that but you get the idea I, we're going to be here god designed it to be united we're going to govern the earth the way god always designed it to be so right. so what you is know, we are,
1: uh, this is probably too big a rabbit trail, but I have to ask: What does this do to your eschatology, and you know whether you're millennial and things well, like it, that?
2: Does it affect that directly? Well, I'm, I'm
1: asking. I, I just yeah. I don't know if that's you know. There's there's that. the the picture of the new Jerusalem. Was it descending or whatever? Yeah. I can't remember. Right. Yeah, it comes um, down out it of comes heaven. Comes down out of heaven, and so I just kind of wondered if this had any. Um, oh yeah, like proving.
2: That? Yeah, proving it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the the real distinction in those in the on ah, mill pre pre mill post mill kind of questions is in hermeneutics, and then we'll get to that. Actually, we might get to that today. But that, that's essentially a hermeneutics question. So we will deal with that there. But the main point is um, what we were designed to do, Adam's original job description was to govern the earth. I, God doesn't make a plan B. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do when when it's all said and done. That's the plan. And you needed more than Adam to do that because Adam's not omnipresent so hence the command that you see repeated throughout the scriptures be fruitful and multiply we, we got to cover the earth in order to rule it and it, that doesn't mean you know crammed in like into a sardine can but you got to have enough people to cover the earth that's a lot
1: and according to so, bill gates that number is 500 million
2: no. <laughs> man you're just <you're> so <laughs> As I look down my list, you know, and see where we're going to go on some of these core beliefs, boy, am I going to unload when we get to that point? Because just as a heads up, I'm convinced that's what he's doing today, trying to reduce that number, the the current population down to five million. I'm convinced he's doing that, but we will get, you know, or I can back that up with some data, uh, which I could do right now. I'm so well, mad about that. I think
1: I think that's another uh, uh, core belief. The ultimate key to I, truth is the issue of source. So we have to have star sources.
2: Okay. We'll we'll cover this. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. We'll I want to
1: reorganize your list.
2: <laughs> I know, but that I know you should, but that's my point, right? After number one, the Bible is God's word. Then, then these others can be in any order. They all find their ultimate significance under number one.
1: Spoken like a true biblical theology person.
2: <laughs> okay, so um, the, is that, we can probably move on, right? I don't think we need to belabor that. I just think that's an important point to keep that in makes, mind. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. It makes sense.
2: Yeah, okay. So next one, number eight, though the numbers are not significant, past number one. Christianity is a world view. Boy, that's important to to have in your mind. Here's why I think so. Let's use an analogy. Picture your mind as a personal library. And in most people's libraries, if they don't have headings for the different sections of their books, at least they do in their mind. Like if they go to grab a book for you, they know where they're going on that bookshelf, right? They know where that book fits. And it's usually not random. If it's a book on, if it's a commentary, they're going to the commentary section of their library and it's probably ordered by the order of the biblical books and so on. Anyway.
1: Most I think people. my mom reorganized my dad's books that he. Oh, I had. bet he was mad. He had he I, had I the. I bet books. he was mad. <laughs> I Don't recall him being mad, but I think she organized them by color and size. <laughs> 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 and then he couldn't he couldn't find his book. Right, he can't <laughs> find
2: it. Right, because it corresponds his. One, I, I guess that proves my point. His personal library would have corresponded to his mind. That, that's how he would have had them ordered, right? She's not in his mind,
0: mm-hmm.
2: so, so she's rearranging them. But anyway, imagine a personal library that's ordered, but not ordered, there are shelves, but they're not just horizontal shelves. Imagine that um, they're, they're in like a pyramid shape. Mm -hmm. So at the top, the pinnacle of your library, of your mind, you should have uh, Christianity. And that should be represented by one single book. And isn't that, in fact, the meaning of the word Bible? Doesn't Bible mean book?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So there's one book. That informs all the other books and it sits at the pinnacle. Okay, that's a picture of it, should be a picture of your mind with Christianity as a worldview. Here's why I'm belaboring that illustration. If you picture your library as just of your mind, the library of your mind is just horizontal shelves and the Bible is on one of those shelves. That's misleading. The Bible's not just another book. That picture, that second picture that I'm drawing, really, I think, represents most Christians. And the label I would put on that is they consider Christianity a religion. And I know that Christianity would fit the dictionary definition of a religion but that's letting the world define your faith instead of your faith enabling you to see the world correctly. It's the best definition of Christianity is not a religion. It's a worldview. You've heard me say this before. When Jesus went to bed at night during his earthly ministry, or Paul, neither of them, or John, or Peter, and so on, neither of them laid their head down and said, you know, I really gave them good religion today. I told them the truth. I told the truth today. And truth is just a core element of worldview. That's how they would have perceived that. Mm -hmm. So it's so important for people to keep that in mind. Here's one direct application of it. You've probably been exposed to some like christian high schools most of the ones i've been exposed to i've been so disappointed with on on the one hand i'm glad there are christian high schools and i support them you know at least the word of god you know muffled as it is still gets out there through that so i support that but they don't teach high school the subjects in high school like they should the theology class should be the main class every and it should be pointed out how every other subject fits under that category and I think that surprises people because I think they would see in their minds uh, science as separate and it's not science is done by human beings we'll get to that core point belief after a while but science is done by human beings on the physical world they can't study the immaterial spirit world so
1: i have have an example for you just came to mind good there was a college bates college i can't recall where it is maine or someplace like that but um, they said that all their majors and courses needed to include topics on racism Even a math class must include understanding how mathematical methods can expose racial and other injustices and the role of mathematics as a gatekeeper and driver of injustice. Yeah. Okay. so this is the proves this is the opposite of what you're saying. I mean, this is these these are people whose worldview.
2: Yes, they're being
1: there's a weird way.
2: In In which you're being honest to their
1: worldview. Yes. And so how is it that math is a gatekeeper to injustice? Well, because if two plus two equals four is a truth, okay, is Mm -hmm. true, then their worldview is that there is no truth. And, you know, it's only your personal opinion that matters. And so math is a subject that there is obviously a right answer and so they have to somehow do away with the right answers and so you can have that oakland school that says two plus two equals four is racist so yeah. i this just this is what you're saying like you say they're being consistent totally opposite of christianity
2: yes so and so that brings up a tangent not going to wander too far down this, but I need to make this point at this place. You become what you worship. And what you just illustrated was the idolatry of racism. And at least, like we said, they were being consistent with that. If what they're saying is true, then the, the logic follows. It's just in their case, you know, the the premise is false.
1: Well, and I was going to say early on when you said, you know, Christianity is a worldview, I was going to say the corollary or opposite of that would be um, world, a worldview is, is your religion. Yeah. And so, like you just said, racism, you know, that's their idol, their idolatry and stuff. Yeah.
2: And you, you become what you worship. How many people, as an illustration, without, again, I don't think they would voice it this way, but you can tell by their actions, worship money, right? That For most people, that money represents the ultimate in power and security and so on, well-being, right? So they will conduct their lives in order to pursue wealth. Well, think of one of the phrases we use to describe money, don't we say cold, hard cash? Mm-hmm. And have you noticed that about people that pursue that? Wouldn't you also describe them on their journey as cold and hard? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You you become what you worship. How how often in and what you worship can can be defined, you know, one entryway into that is, you know, what you stare at. So why we tell people all the time, you know, you need to be reading your Bible. You become that as you behold it. Paul literally says that. We're gonna to get to this passage later uh today or next podcast, you know, in First Corinthians, you know, beholding as in a mirror, right? You become transformed by the spirit. You, you you become what you behold. So where I was going with that is quite often, you know, in the course of years, pe- people have had, you know, bad fathers. There have been tremendous fathers, but there have been some bad ones. And, and if you had to grow up with a bad father, that's a struggle. But often you will hear that person you know, say in one way or another, you know, I don't, I don't want to be like my dad. But when you start hearing that every other day or every other week, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't, what they're doing is looking at the image of their dad, either in their mind or their right. And they end up becoming that. Even though they're saying, you know, I, I don't want to be like my dad. You're going, you're exactly like your dad. Because
1: <laughs> that's what they focused on.
2: That's what their focus was. And so you you become what you behold. You, you become what you worship. So people, you know, Old Testament wise, let's put ourselves back in that culture. And you see the prophets, right? Isaiah specifically, but the others as well, will just mock the idols, right? You made that thing. You cut down a tree, you, you know, chopped it up. Part of the tree you just burned to keep yourself warm. Part of it you used to cook your food. And then part of it you took and carved this little thing that now you worship. (laughs) But the gist, the bottom line of that is that little thing that you made out of a fallen tree can't see, can't hear, and can't speak. And it isn't the real point that Isaiah is making is. You're, you've become so dumb. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't speak because you're worshiping an idol that can't do any of that. Mm-hmm. So the principle is you, be, you become what you worship, you become what you behold. So Christianity's a worldview and the top of your uh, mental library is the Bible and that informs every other subject. So I want people to have that, that perspective. That's one of my core beliefs. Let's get to another one. Unless you had any questions about that.
1: No, I agree with that one.
2: Oh, so now you're on board. Okay. (laughs) And I, and
1: I, and I think I might, I would agree with your next one, but. Okay, but this so will have to, we'll discuss this. Is, there's no way we're going to get past this one today.
2: Okay, you, you can be my governor on this one, my balance. You can be my balance beam. Okay. okay, the way I would state the next one is the dominant aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit, and let me add a word, today is discernment. So let me read it as one sentence. The dominant aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit is discernment. Okay, so let me discuss that one a little bit. Here's a key verse to me. Have you noticed, by the way, Hampton, as you read through the scriptures, don't certain passages take on more weight in your mind than others? though you don't disqualify any, right? The the word of God is, you know, exists in its totality. I wouldn't take a single, uh, well, like Jesus said, jot or tittle away from anything that was written. But within that, aren't there like foundational passages? Oh, yeah. Don't you think, right? Even though you're not, you wouldn't disagree. It doesn't mean you disagree, with any other passage. I mean, certain of them, certain passages just take on more weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's one that's pretty weighty for me. In your nice small print Bible, Hampton, <laughs> called the Net Bible. I'm
1: gonna get you a large. Was... I'm gonna get you a large print edition.
2: <laughs> <laughs> which was personally signed over to me. Uh so Zechariah chapter four, verse six, this is the Lord's message to Zerubbabel, not by strength, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Well, wow, that's a power term, the Lord of heaven's armies, right? He's, he's speaking of power, mm-hmm. and yet he says, not by power. even though the whole context is power so there's a passage about the spirit that's really important to me in my thinking and that is I see the world I see obviously the world everyone sees and I call that the electromagnetic world because I think electromagnetism is boy about as foundational as you can get to the material world, everything's made out of that, right? The electrons, the protons, the neutrons. So I call that the electromagnetic world. But to me, that's half, and I don't mean half like fifty percent. I just mean that's the tangible part. Mm-hmm. The other half, again, understanding half is just meaning other, is the spirit world. Okay. So I see both of those. So to me, real power, like this verse is saying, comes from the spirit world, not the material world. Okay. And I see believers as enriched, according to Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. None of us are poor in that sense. None of us we're overwhelmingly wealthy with God's blessing. But I see, I see power coming from the spirit world. So then I turn to first Corinthians chapter two. And this is one of those passages that uh, for me is just so foundational to everything else. So I'm going to Read the passage, okay? Not just the verse. I'll, I'll point out the verse I'm driving at. But this is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, now we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are perishing. Instead, we speak the wisdom of God, hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. God has revealed these to us by the spirit for the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man except the man's Spirit within him? So too, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. And we speak about these things, not with words taught us by human wisdom, but with those taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. The unbeliever does not receive the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The one who is spiritual discerns all things. Yet he himself is understood by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to advise him? But we have the mind of Christ. So that's an extended passage. When you just listen to that, wouldn't one of your takeaways be wow, the spirit is really all about discernment. Yeah, I agree. I I do too. So think about this. Here's how I would put it in a larger context and, and then we'll kind of smooth it out. Like Like this is what we're talking about now is the point I'm making. But what we can talk about in a minute is the points I'm not making, but are still valid, right? So... <clears throat> What I notice well, how about I ask you first? Did anything jump out at you besides the spirit discernment connection?
1: Well, in that verse, I think you're referring to verse 15, the one who is spiritual discerns all things. Yes. Yet, yet he yep. himself is understood by no one. Right. So who is the he himself?
2: The the believer. Like, you know, does the
1: so how, how is the believer not understood by anyone? Well, no, no one else really understands what's going on in your mind
2: or your actions. You know, for instance, back to our library illustration, um, I think the unbeliever would just look at me, generally speaking, as crazy. You, you think an invisible being created the universe? Yep. I do. <laughs> I hundred percent think that. Right. I, right. The, the believer, oh yeah. Well, it's
1: already said earlier that it's foolishness.
2: Right. Right. So that that's where I how I would explain that verse. And haven't you noticed that in your life? Haven't you struggled at times? You know, wondering like they don't understand a thing I said to them, even though what you said was very plain. Yeah. I know I have that all the time. And maybe it is because what I said wasn't plain. Maybe I'm just not a good speaker, but I tend to think it's more this verse. So anyway, that's where I would go with that. Here's what jumps out to me now. You you know, everybody has this experience. Isn't this uh, worldwide for believers? You're reading a passage you've read a thousand times and something jumps out at you. And you're like, how, how did I not see that before? You right. know? So uh, here we are in verse five. Now we do speak wisdom among the mature. See the Greeks, right? They're really struggling with that as Paul's bringing the gospel to Corinth. They, they were used to having great speakers come and declare the latest philosophy. And there was just so much intellectual pride there. So Paul's going, essentially, I'm putting it in my words. But the point is, hey, I've I got wisdom, too. You know, the gospel's wisdom is just not from the world. That's yeah. his point here, right? Okay. So we do speak wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are perishing, right? That's a nice little aside, <laughs> who are perishing. The founder of our faith is eternal, not perishing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So anyway, verse seven, instead we speak, The wisdom of God, hidden in the mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. That's something to think about. And I I had not obviously read that, right? But that jumped out at me this morning. Uh, Here's why. When you think of the phrase, um, don't people often sort of describe the Christian life as, you know, the goal is to glorify God.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Well,
1: enjoy him forever.
2: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's even, that's not (laughs) even a casual statement. That's That's the first
1: catechism catechism answer.
2: Right. That's a well thought out, right. Manufactured doctrine. So, but what is that actually? How do you glorify God by living your life, what, how do you do that? And here's how I've always thought about that. <clears throat> For God to be glorified in my thinking equals him being revealed. He is glory. So if you just show people in word and deed what he's like, that glorifies him because it reveals him. Right. Right. So that's right. That's how I've always perceived that. So really like when you forgive someone that glorifies God, because that's what he does. When you give to somebody that glorifies God, because that's what he does. You're revealing him, right? So what is it to glorify man? Doesn't it say at the end of verse seven, right? He's, This wisdom from God, the purpose of it is determined before the ages for our glory. How how does Adam, how is Adam glorified?
1: Well, I would think this is related to our, uh, Adam is made in the image or as the image of God. Yes,
2: yes. And so I would, exactly. So I would say specifically, Adam is glorified when he governs the world the way God would do it. What do you need to do that? You need wisdom. You need the spirit of God to do that. And what's that boil down to discernment?
1: Which, that, that's how would, I
2: make this statement, right? It, take, that it, takes
1: I, us, yeah, it takes us back to Solomon.
2: That's perfect. He, it, I wish people, you know, could grasp the, the the scriptures in, in large bites. I know we get exegetical sermons and I'm all for that. Uh, But you gotta, you gotta look at it like a meal and you sit down and there's a big old strip of steak on there, right? Not just a little small bite. There's a strip of steak. So when you get to the scriptures in, uh, first Kings, and Solomon takes the throne. Hampton, we were so close at that point in history to all the purposes of God coming to pass. We were so close. Obviously, we failed. Solomon failed, but he was so close. He had a king governing Israel, which at that period in history probably the dominant nation on earth though not physically right they didn't conquer other countries; they ruled them right other countries you know would pay them tithes and taxes and so on but they didn't go take over your land they were but just
1: they were just the uh, ultimate example they of a the righteous the ulti- government yes
2: yes and you have the demonstration of that as the queen of sheba coming just to see how it's done right and and being blown away
1: and then solomon's request or god says what would you like and he wants wisdom
2: to govern right and of course there are phrases right i don't know how to go out and come in but those those are metaphors for i i don't know how to govern it correctly so Mm -hmm. give me that wisdom and so that's why i conclude Oh, any and god did Right, I, I wish he'd also given him obedience.
1: you <laughs> only got one thing;
2: <laughs> can only ask for one. Uh, but it, it must have just been incredible to live during that age. One of my favorite phrases, you know, those forty years of Solomon's reign. But one of my favorite verses that describe that time in history. Oh, this is a. a this has a good secondary point, is that silver had no value in Solomon's day because they had so much gold.
1: Well, our, so, our paper dollars have no value. Because <laughs> <laughs> we don't have be, any gold. There's got to be something related in there.
2: Yeah, we we went off the gold standard long ago and thus began our demise. But um, my point is, God will give you the wealth. If if that's what you really seek, God can give you that. But only as you pursue governance, a governance of righteousness. Isn't that really, I would love to teach an economics class someday. I know that sounds strange, but as I survey the world, the wealthiest, I I see the US as the wealthiest country, not for long, not for much longer, but certainly during my childhood. And I wonder, why is that? Why, Why is the US wealthier than other nations? It's not because, I mean, we got good natural resources, but not necessarily more than other places. Diamonds and oil, that's, we got oil here, but diamonds and oil, that's around the poles. That's in North Canada has those in the extreme and the Southern countries have those in the extreme. We, we don't have more natural resources. We're, we're good. We're well off in that area, but we're not supreme in that. So, yeah. so what fundamentally was it that caused wealth in the U S and I would say our politics Friday discussion, our founding fathers created a righteous as much as you could given the fact that we're in a fallen world, a righteous system of government. Of course there's been abuses, but the system itself was good. So you could borrow money because the lender knew it would be returned. There were legal recourses of righteousness that they couldn't lend their money. You can't, in a lot of countries, you can't lend money, you're never gonna see it again.
1: Right. yeah we were reading something i think it might have been um the assyrians or when they sacked. they ran off and left all their stuff behind and so yeah they had food and weapons and gold and silver and stuff like that in the camp of the armies yeah and i asked josiah do you know why they had their gold and stuff with them when they were going on their battles
2: it's not safe <laughs>
1: goes, i said because they they couldn't leave at home there were no banks they couldn't right. trust That's anybody so you had to exactly. keep all of your money with you when it wherever you went and that was true with a lot of the warships um you know back in the crusades and all you know ancient ancient history why did they have all their money with them because they didn't have banks and they couldn't trust people with the Correct. I think I learned that reading the Rodney Stark's book, How the West Won.
2: It's well, it's true. And I think we can even take it one step further. Our system of government set up by our founding fathers, again, given the fact that we're in a fallen world, is the truest government you could have at this point in history to it's the truest to the idea of what a human being really is. So, you know, the image of God. So when you enable your citizenry, which is any country's greatest resource, forget diamonds, forget oil, your people are your greatest resource. So when you have a system of government that empowers people to be the best, right, with constraints, you got to have laws against unrighteousness. But when, when you empower them, you're going to be the wealthiest country. And that's what we had. And yeah. we've lost that. <laughs> Soon to be discussed on later podcasts, but... So anyway, Hampton, so back to our main point. That's what I saw when I read that passage just a few minutes ago. The glory of man, that God's spirit and his words, his direction were um purposed towards our glory. But the the way yeah. you apprehend them, the way you tap in to the glory that's reserved for mankind not in a pride sense, right, but, but in a true godly sense, is through the spirit. That's why I see that as, as a really important statement. Now, <clears throat> let me read the statement again. The dominant aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit is discernment. It's, I could almost say, I would feel comfortable saying the dominant aspect of the work of the spirit is power, you know, uh, spiritual power.
1: That's yeah, and goal. I think that's that's what I was thinking. Some people might push back on,
2: and and I w- I would agree, but but I would nuance it and say, well, how is that power focused? It's it's focused into discernment. That's how I'd nuance that, and and by saying that, I don't want to minimize any of the other works of the Spirit. You know, particularly the gifts and so on. I don't want to minimize that. But I do want people to have a takeaway that through the spirit, you can discern what's going on. And that's critical for believers. You don't want to walk in the dark. And why why that's a particular itch I have in the last six months or so, even though I, I would have made this statement decades ago, but still, the reason it's an itch I need to scratch more often is the whole, and we'll get to this on one of the coming podcasts, but the whole COVID thing just blows me away. Not the COVID itself, but the general response, general, right? A hundred mm-hmm. exceptions to this, but the general response of the Christians has been as if they're living in the dark, like they don't understand what this really is. And I, and that puzzles me because I equate the definition of being a Christian like Paul would in Romans is having the spirit. Right. Yeah. It doesn't he make that exact statement? And, and so then, uh, well, if you have the spirit, how come you're not discerning what what's going on? And I think I would conclude, you know, it's cause we're not, we have the spirit, but we're not walking by the spirit. So we're not discerning what's going on.
1: Yeah, so that's where I think I would have the um, biggest caution in this. I I think about Romans 14, and you've got the weaker brother, and so you're not to judge him because he thinks he shouldn't eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or whatever it might be, or special days. And I think Paul goes on later in chapter 14 to say that there is a right and a wrong you know, answering in in this, you know, topic. And so I think that the danger here is if someone disagrees with me, then I think that I'm the one that's discerning (laughs) and they are the one who is not discerning and to think that I'm right. And I'm the spiritual one and you're not walking by the spirit because you disagree with me. So that's where I would uh, say that there's a danger there in, Thinking, you know, with this core belief, I do agree that the Holy Spirit's role, one of his dominant, you know, roles is discernment, but we can certainly uh, abuse that. Does that make sense?
2: So uh, in response to that, I would say, well said, well received. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah and and i guess my my purpose is i guess it relates to the podcast in in its entirety um one of the joys of it for me is to be unfettered you know so th- these are my core beliefs these these are not like like you'll hedge <laughs> you'll hedge on some of them right i sort of laugh you, you Maybe you should <laughs> these these are my core beliefs i'm not, and I'm defending them, you know, I own them, but right. i I understand these aren't everybody's core beliefs, except num, number one needs to be everybody's core belief, but after that right, right these these are mine, so I hear you and yeah,
1: and I generally agree, but that's just, like I said, I have you know thoughts of minor reservations. I, I agree
2: in the, in the uh, application of the belief. Exactly, I agree too. You know, and I wonder, Hampton, if one one of the beauties of the scripture to me is the different people God used to write them, because you know, in our theory of inspiration, right? It's fully from God. You, the words on the pages of the Bible are God's words. If you, here's what I mean by that. So, so we don't have to dance around theological definitions. What I mean by that is if you stand before God and you have a Bible in your hand and you open it to wherever and you say, God, I thought you said, and you read a verse, I imagine God going, that's right. I said that. So that's what I mean by inspiration. Mm -hmm. Now, the process of that was God getting his thoughts into the human author's thoughts. That was step number one. We call that revelation slash inspiration. The revelation is God revealing his thoughts. The inspiration is the human being, Moses, originally, you know getting those and putting it down on whatever he used parchment or what have you right so to me one of the joys is when god did that he he didn't dictate his words the only thing we have close to dictation in the scriptures is like the 10 commandments right that, that god wrote with his own finger yeah um but he did not erase the human author so i i love that because as you get more and more familiar with the scriptures you can discern the human author in there right you i am not a good chapter and verse guy you've probably noticed that i i often you know where was that and so on but if you read me a couple verses I can almost tell you what human author that was. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Chapter and verse is hard for me, but I I can tell the personality behind it. So where I'm going with that is, these are my core beliefs. You know, I I don't want to take God's work in my life out of that. But I recognize Paul wasn't the only human author of the scriptures. John, there's John, Peter, right? On and on. The old right, and people,
1: people have, like Luther had a problem with James because he yeah. seemed to conflict with what Paul said.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, w- the way I'm applying that is uh, the dominant aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit is discernment. That's how I see it. I understand people can see that differently. I understand that. And then not even just understand it. I, I respect it. Yeah. I respect other biblical views. I'm just giving you because we're the ones talking on the podcast. I'm just telling you where I'm coming from.
1: <laughs> well, and I, and I would say that I agree with you and my tendency is to do just the opposite of what I cautioned against. <laughs> so, so well, I, I yeah. do think that I, I question those very things when, when someone disagrees with me and like, how can you not see that from a logical yeah. logical yeah. or a theological point of view yeah. yeah so i have to remind myself that i'm not always right
2: i know and and think about our phrase even that we use as we're trying to express ourselves like how can you not see that and yet think of the miracles of the lord during his earthly ministry and the one that blew the disciples away. Often people think, well, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, that was not the one that blew them. Obviously, extremely impressive.
1: Is that the calming of the sea?
2: Very impressive, <laughs> also. Very who, is, impressive. who is
1: this guy that he, even <laughs> the weather obeys him?
2: Yeah, he's, uh, he's the second Adam, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I got what you're, what you're saying. The man born blind right when he received his sight that one blew him away and it it, that's all about sight right so when we say how is it you cannot see what i'm seeing they see to me that's spiritual discernment that's only god can provide that insight only god can make a person see what they're not seeing I cannot. So I get so I get frustrated. I can explain till I'm blue in the face and it it doesn't happen. And uh, but God can do it instantaneously. So everything's theological in the end, don't you think, Hampton?
1: Yes. But then that's that's because Christianity is a worldview.
2: Perfect. Wow. The message is getting through. Okay, so um, do you want to do? the next one, or should we wait till our next podcast?
1: I think we should wait. We've probably been going long enough.
2: All righty. We'll do that one next time.
1: Okay. Well, that was good. Enjoyed it.
2: Thank you, Hampton. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
0: Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect.